Hey there, this is Missy Singer Dumars, host of the Women in Food podcast, farmer, business coach, queen of my kitchen, total foodie, and lover of old fashioned nightgowns. You are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. Welcome to episode 148. In this episode, I talk with longtime friend and listener Missy Singer-Dumars about food availability, her life journey into farming, hosting the Women in Food podcast, and more. And before that, we're going to talk about fall gardening tips in the Earthscape. And before that, I'm going to tell you how you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and X, Twitter, whatever the hell that thing is now, at Leftscape. Yes, we are still there. (laughs) And please do help support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. We are also still very much there. Uh, We post exclusive content uh, at least monthly, sometimes with some extras, and we, you know, We'll be planning some other surprises for folks, too. So please join us there at patreon.com slash leftscape. So this fortnight, I learned that Australia is wider than the moon. (laughs) I love this fact. I did not know that. I didn't either. The moon is 3,400 kilometers, which is 2,113 miles in diameter, while Australia's diameter from east to west, I don't know if that's actually diameter or length, from east to west is almost 4,000 kilometers or 2,485 miles. So that's interesting. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) This is very cool. Yeah. Uh, and this fortnight, I learned that love is worth it. I definitely, in the recent years, have been spending time, <sighs> I wouldn't say not trying not to love someone, but trying to sublimate emotions out of, I don't know, self-protection and all those things. And, you know, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been spending a wonderful time with a certain person. And a lot of other friends, but particularly a certain person out here. I'm in Tucson, and it's been a really nice trip. And uh, so he's listening back east, I hope. So, yay, love is good. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. You deserve to have that, to learn that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, it's not necessarily simple, but it's 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 important and valid and wonderful so yeah well it's never simple it's yeah (laughs) i don't think it's ever simple so yeah all right and now it's like any of this news is more than i can handle but we're gonna attempt all of the news that we can handle today (laughs) (laughs) ah okay well Here's some news I don't want to talk about, 
off the bat. <laughs> it's really hard to talk about and, and even to process. But, you know, the the war in Israel and Hamas, with yeah. Hamas is just beyond any, it's beyond comprehension, really. It broke out when I was camping with family. And I remember I, I happened to glance at my cell phone and I was like, holy shit. And I thought, I, I'm not even going to comment on this because it's too huge and people are just sitting around a campfire and oh my god <laughs> you know it was kind of like a shock yeah and I hadn't really been engaging my mind into what's happening but basically right now at least Israel is on its 11th day of an aerial bombardment campaign of the Gaza Strip and over which it was ordered a total siege is cutting off water food electricity supplies to like two million people and yeah. the siege has been in response to a, a horrific terrorist attack, which happened by Hamas on October 7th. And the death toll of all of this so far has risen to at least 1,400 people killed in Israel, 2,700 killed in Gaza. And there are at least 199 hostages kidnapped from Israel right now. <sighs> I know. Um, I... I, I... Just... Didn't even I didn't even know that it was going on for like I think the first day or two because my timeline was not having the news on there. Mm. And then I was seeing cryptic things about Israel and then I said, Uh oh, what's going on? And then I looked it up and I go and I basically, you know, built a blanket fort and went into it and just stayed there. I I I it is so horrible and awful and and i i you know and then today looking at the other news i mean some of this stuff will have you know by the time this shows up on our on our website when we publish this show things will have changed already because i mean i had read this morning that president biden is heading out there today to talk yes. to to netanyahu and i don't know who else and so that will whatever that's going to happen will have happened by the time this airs so i'm hoping i am hoping beyond hope that that things can can kind of calm down instead of escalate like it's happening and and yeah. just remember that there are human beings all over this is all humans hurting each other and and it's not it's not not good no no do this yeah and and that's like that's a really great way to put it because i think it's such a contentious situation and and people have emotions and alliances that are very very deeply held yeah and and there's pain. And, there, it, it's yes. Everybody is human, and and all of this is terrible. Is is yes, a way to yes. and and yeah. And a little Islamic boy was killed in like the Chicago area yesterday. I just saw that. Yeah, that was and, more you know, news than I could handle. People, but thank you. I know. I know. I'm just you know. But it's important to say. Be careful. Don't drag be this into into the United States. We already have enough trouble. Yeah. 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 Like, just don't. Don't do this. Yeah. Anyway, all right, all right. I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I cannot handle what is going on over there. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, well, let's so, yeah, let's leave it at that. But let's. let's move on. I would <laughs> like to on. find pre healthy ways to unpack and discuss all of this. And I know how hard it is 
but it's not now. <sighs> it's that we've said yeah. enough for now. <laughs> yeah, this is a a it is a volatile situation that is volatile and 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 redundant. Uh, I, I sorry, I yeah. shouldn't make well, a joke, no, but it, your it, sentence was redundant. It, it, yes, I know my sentence was redundant. I this is like because it's it's making my brain freeze. Sorry. And okay, India's Supreme Court has declined to grant legal recognition to same-sex marriages, saying it is beyond its scope and should be decided by Parliament but emphasizing that queer relationships should not face discrimination by the state. In his ruling, the head of the Supreme Court, Chandra Chud, emphasized that the LGBTQ plus people should have the right to choose their partners and cohabit and should not face discrimination under the law. So basically, the Supreme Court of India said, we're not going to, this is legislation, so the legislature needs to decide on this. So they they threw it back to their parliament and who knows what's going to happen with that. So, but at least, you know, I, I, and, and reading um, the details in the article, it was like a three to two kind of vote where three were against voting for this. So they guess they settled it by saying, okay, we're not going to make a decision and it's out of our jurisdiction. This isn't what we decide on. So, so the Indian, so it's kind of a punt, to... but kind of a, you know, a, at least a nod to, you yeah. know, non-discrimination. Yeah. Well, like. and whether, and whether anybody's going to listen to that is up in the air. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's, they still have a fight ahead of them. Okay. Thank you for that. I, it's um, good to keep up with yeah. all of that. Well, I mean, there's so much other things happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know. Including uh, the 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 lack of speaker of the house in the U.S., which is a little bizarre. It was it was sort of I think I called it the um, podcasting Murphy's law of podcasting that something big is going to happen like just as you finish recording or you know between the time <laughs> when you record and when the podcast comes out. And so yeah. our right before our last right after we recorded our last show, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as speaker of the house because they had he in order to be elected speaker of the house he set up a situation where any one person could basically vote him out you know which happened <laughs> matt gates brought the vote and or brought the initiative or whatever to to basically boot him as speaker so that happened uh then the gop selected steve scalise as their nominee and then it was basically like announced, oh, he's he's the new speaker. But then he realized he wasn't going to get enough votes and he dropped out. So yeah. now, and that was because of the far right contingent wanting Jim Jordan. So basically they kind of sabotaged it so that he would never get enough votes to win. So now Jim Jordan is the latest nominee, which Does is... Does he have enough votes? So, I don't think he has enough votes. So far he doesn't have enough votes it seems but he's i think he's gained some over the weekend apparently mm. so he's trying to work toward it he is very bad news that's yeah um uh, yeah, yeah so Jim jordan being being elected speaker would not be great no so it really would not no 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 so we'll, we'll see and yeah all the democrats are voting for hakeem jeffrey so it would be Wonderful if somehow there'd be not enough votes 
for Jim Jordan, but somehow just enough. I don't know. That's not, I don't know what's likely, but the main thing is that nothing's getting done. <laughs> like everything is grin, gr- ground to a halt while they yeah. find a new speaker of the house. So, yes. And, and they can't even, and they need to do something because the debt ceiling bullshit, that shit runs out after the election in November. So we have right. like maybe a month before the government, the entire government grinds to a halt. So, which I think some of those Congress critters want that for some reason. I don't know why, but I think they do. Right. Well, I yeah. think if it happens on Biden's watch, a lot of people will just see that. And I think yeah. that would benefit people who want to, you know, stop everything. And I think, well, actually, one of the reasons that Kevin McCarthy was ousted was that he was willing to work with the Democrats to get the debt ceiling stuff done. And the hardliners are saying, like, if you even talk to them, you're you're out, basically. Yeah, well, that's ridiculous. It, it, yeah, because we have to govern. We have to work together in some well, in some capacities, you know. Yeah. So what's next? <laughs> next. What's next is Greta Thunberg was arrested after joining hundreds of protesters who gathered at a five star hotel in London on Tuesday morning to denounce a meeting branded the Oscars of oil. So I guess a bunch of oil execs and a bunch of, of British legislators or parliamentarians were all schmoozing at this hotel. And Get, there were, getting awards, there was, receiving awards, making speeches. No, I, well, get, I guess getting awards is, you know, getting their, getting their pork, uh. you know, getting, getting whatever, whatever, concessions or the things that the politicians want, you know, from, and so the oil companies, you know, it, it's, I guess, British, the British version of lobbying, I don't know. Hmm. But uh, there was a big protest outside of it and, and, Thun, and Thunberg got arrested. I'm assuming other people got arrested too, but, you know, she's, she's still doing, fighting the fight. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> And in Australia, Australia rejected a referendum on, this was Saturday, they had their vote. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there was a referendum on whether to recognize the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, in the nation's 122-year-old constitution to give them greater political say. It was called the Voice to Parliament, and it was to be an advisory body that was made up of Indigenous people that really just didn't, you know, didn't vote or anything, but just had, would, it, would, would give input to right. things. Policy. <laughs> to policies, yeah. yes. And roughly 60% voted no. This, it was not unexpected. Mm. People, you know, a, a lot of people were very vocally for this, you know, for this, the voice, but it was looking like, it was looking like it was not going to happen. So I, it was, you know, it was not expected that this would come to pass this way. And I, it's just, it's sad to me. It's you disappointing. Know. Yeah, I, I think that's it. And I think a lot of people, well, there were, there were a couple sides of it, but a lot of people felt like it didn't go far enough, you know, so some people that would have our oh. feelings toward you know, wanting to have this felt like it was maybe just like a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. And I don't think anyone thought it wouldn't, Mm-mm. it was going to perfect everything. But I think a lot right. of people thought it would have been a great start. And a lot of people, and I think this is the bigger contingent probably that voted no, was just that 
people were saying, well, it will it will divide the country, that it's divisive. And to me, that sounds like, and I'm not claiming to know the intricacies of the situation exactly, but it sounds to me like people who say, like, talking about racism causes racism. Yeah. So if you just shut yeah. up about it, everything's fine, which is obviously not how it works. No, it isn't. And I'm I'm disappointed that that it didn't pass. Yeah, me but... too. Me too. And uh, I, my friend in Melbourne, I'm sure, feels the same. I haven't spoken with him since the vote, but I, I know he was not optimistic and was sad about that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And yeah. just to note, Australia's first peoples are classed as the oldest living culture on Earth and have inhabited Australia for at least 65,000 years. Wow. So I think wow. that deserves a voice. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think so, too. Yeah. But well, it's not our place. It's not our country. Yeah. Yeah. And we have zero room to talk, but I'm hoping yeah. that, you know, things can get yeah. better for all indigenous peoples absolutely yeah. there's okay <laughs> um, well you know you can have yeah, pipe dreams right or just dreams yes. of, yeah making things better and our last news segment news art item is the first off-road solar-powered car has completed a thousand kilometer or 620 mile test drive across Morocco and the Sahara without recharging. The two-seat Stella Terra, designed by students at the Eindhoven University of Technology, completed the journey across a variety of challenging landscapes as part of a final test. The car runs off the energy provided by multiple solar panels on the roof and has a top speed of 90 miles an hour and has a range of at least 440 miles on a sunny day. So I think that's pretty cool. So that doesn't need to be plugged in. It just runs. I don't know how well it would do in an environment such as ours where, I don't know, <laughs> we get like a sunny day once every like five days. So, <laughs> right. Well, it could work in Arizona. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, there are definitely places where this will be very useful. And they were saying that this is way ahead. This particular vehicle is way ahead of where the industry is by like at least a decade. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that is all of the news we can handle today. Absolutely is. It's kind of more than all the news we can handle. <laughs> Catch a new wave with Saved by Zero on Radio PBS, independent internet radio from Melbourne, Australia, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 1 a.m. Join me, your host, Andrew Genus, and take an hour-long dive into new wave, punk, post-punk, indie and modern rock, Gen X angst, and sonic joy. Saved by Zero, Thursdays at 8 a.m. and Sundays at 1 a.m. on RadioPVS.com. Welcome to the Earthscape, where we talk about earthy things. And <laughs> today, the earthy thing we're going to talk about 
is things growing in the earth or, or gardening or plants. And it's October and it's been pretty chilly and it's kind of like, you know, time for the fall gardening stuff. So what I have done already is I've moved my porch plants back into the house like a week or two ago. That's been a challenge to find windows for <laughs> all of the plants I have now. I keep getting more and more plants and the best windows all have like a radiator right under it. So you can't really put plants on there because it gets too hot. So I have to find like the side windows and all these other things. And, and so that happened. And I moved the bucket plants into the greenhouse. So that got very crowded very quickly. But I go out there and I'm talking to my peppers and eggplants, asking them how they are every morning. <laughs> wow. It's great that they're still, they can still go strong for a while, I guess. Yeah. Or over, uh, well, over I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I am planning to overwinter the, the peppers and the eggplants and possibly some tomato plants that haven't died already. There's, because uh, there's YouTube videos I've been watching. You have to do some very severe pruning on peppers and eggplant. It's basically you're cutting away all of the foliage and you're leaving just a couple of branches and then you bring them inside for a couple of months under artificial light. And that will supposedly give you a nice head start on your on your vegetables the next season because you're not starting from seeds again. Mm. Because all of these plants are perennial in their native environment, which I didn't realize all of them were. Okay. You know, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, they're all perennial plants in their in, you know, the the sub tropics, tropics where they come from. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to I'm hoping that the peppers will ripen in the greenhouse. I have a lot a lot of green peppers. I have flowers on these plants still. I mean, my one of my cherry tomatoes is an indeterminate type, which mm. means it never stops growing. Okay. So, wow. so this so this one this one tomato plant, it's like I had it over by my grapes. It's like the great it's growing up on the grapevine. It's growing, it's like it's like 20, it's got branches that are like 20 feet long, and there's tomatoes on the ends of them, and there's flowers on the ends of them. And it's like, I don't know what to do with you now. I can't move you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so you know, luckily it's you know only going into the 40s at night, so it's not freezing, so they're still okay, but soon soon and then i have to do i have to separate out my lilies my day lilies because they are very very overgrown they have to every few years you have to dig them all up and separate them out because they get too clumpy and then okay. they stop flowering so i'll have like day lilies <laughs> if you want some for your yard i will have some because uh, i will have a lot of plants i won't know what to do with right um, right I'm well, putting this out to the to the listeners. If you're local to New Jersey and want some daylilies, send me a message through <laughs> the Lovescape and I will get you some daylilies. That's well that's cool. You've got lots of gardening stuff to do. I have done nothing. My my, you know, hopeful plans for fall garden just never happened because I just <laughs> had too much else happening. It was just like Well, yeah. <laughs> just you yeah. know. So 
you know, I've got some stray peppers and tomatoes and things that I just kind of left there. And it's like, hey, things are still growing. That's nice. I grabbed some, some things, which was nice, you know. I would like to plant some things that could be on my indoor porch. It gets pretty chilly out there, but it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's if not it like freezing. Freeze, it should be, it, depending on what it is, you should be okay. Yeah. I'll see. I'll see what I can get happening out there. But right now I'm surrounded by like such an alien landscape being in Arizona and just looking, I I spent the long weekend on a ranch, which is just, I mean, it, you know, rolling up to it was just like, oh my God, where even are we? It just doesn't even feel like <laughs> earth to me. It's just because it's so completely opposite of our, our climate, you know? So I'm, it, I don't know. I'm feeling like it would be so cool to plant things that don't really grow the way they do here around us, you know, but it's funny. Like I went to Arizona Sonora Desert Museum yesterday and it's got all kinds of, you know, some animals and things like that, but, and, but lots of just being surrounded by all kinds of cacti and various things. And, you know, maybe I might have a few more things that could grow in little pots for us or something around me (laughs) as a, but yeah, it's just, Earth is amazing, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, yeah. You know, but in terms of things I'm going to plant back in New Jersey, it's almost like I can't even think about it right now because I'm just in a different yeah. world. <laughs> but I will be back a couple days and I'll be thinking about all those things, back to watering my yeah. plants and taking care of animals and yeah, all of that. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I have to, it's also bulb planting time. And okay. I have... I have also discovered in my various plant garden research that surrounding fruit trees with daffodils is beneficial for the for the fruit trees because it keeps it it's it prevents like the grass growing over to the tree which you don't mm. really want and I think it's also gives you a barrier for certain insect pests and possibly animal pests but i'm not convinced of that i I, and it could just be because the animals are going to want to eat the bulbs and not bother the tree you know because that happens too so i have some daffodils but when do you do you dig when can you dig those up and separate them anytime well usually after they're done blooming okay you know when the leaves are you know the the blooms are gone and the leaves are starting to go Hmm. you know because you want to leave after the blooms are gone, you want to leave the leaves there for the bulbs so they can, you know, because the leaves are going to put energy into the into the bulb for the next year oh. to bloom for the next year. So you wait, you wait a couple of months after blooming. So that's you could dig them up like in early summer. You can dig them up now and replant them mm-hmm. because now is when you plant them because you want them in the ground. I think they need to, to be cold before it gets warm again and then they'll grow. They, right. you know, some of these plants need the cold weather to do the, they need to be cold and then warm. That's, they're used to the the seasonal mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I have, I have bulbs to plant and I think I'm going to go invest in, I forget what the hell they call them. It, it's an auger maybe. It looks like a giant screw, like a giant drill bit with like these big wide flanges and you basically put it on a, a drill and you, and it digs holes. Okay. I, and, I, I, yeah, know, I, now I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, it's, you know, less, less physical labor, which 
you know, for me, getting older is a better thing. So I'm probably going to go get one of those guys to do my bulb planting this year. Wow. Yeah. And uh, what what else is happening in my garden? The the shade garden I put in is doing really well. I have all these beautiful begonia flowers, but the plants, since they're so young, it's like the flowers are heavy and they're, they're like on the ground. They keep falling over on the ground. So I'm hoping next year they, when they come in, they'll be a little stronger and the flowers will be like up where you could see them and not like upside down in the dirt. Right. And, and uh, you know, the hostas came in and everything grew, which is good. I, I also planted these ferns like in the back and they're very sad. I have one fern frond on each of them just to kind of say, hey, we're here. Don't don't kill us. Oh. <laughs> so so right, they right. need I think they need some more time. I think they don't get enough light where they are. I don't know. Wow. Um, so I think for me, for the rest of the season, hopefully we'll, we'll get what temperature did you say it is? right now it's in going into the at night it's going into the upper 40s where you haven't had a freeze yet okay all right that's still some time to be for me to be outside and working and stuff yeah um because my biggest thing this summer was to really have a lot of my yard reclaimed because it was so much overgrowth I, it's very very rural where i am and it was really like the deep woods, like I put on deep woods <laughs> off to go into my yard, you know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, at least this year, this, this year though, we didn't really have, well, mosquitoes we had. Ticks were not, I didn't, ticks didn't bug me this year as much as well, they have. That's good. Yes, because uh, that's uh, gross. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> but, you know, it's very woods, very much woods. And so I, it was kind of out of my scope to to deal with a lot of it just because, it just gets taller than I can handle. And I don't, you know, I just, you know, so I had a lot of things cut back and, but there's still a lot more to do things that I can do, you know, in terms of getting rid of briars and making some pathways and doing things that, you know, sort of uh, reopening like an altar outdoor altar space kind of thing that mm -hmm. I have. And, and I think a lot of that will help me decide where I could plant some other things like in the spring once it's sort of yeah. more more open again and to see what I want to do. I want to have a labyrinth, I think. I was walking a labyrinth oh, nice. this weekend and that would be a whole project, but it would be would be nice to do I, that. But yeah. I wanted to do that too, but I don't think I have enough space. You definitely your yard's big enough. Right. So yeah. you're gonna are you gonna like plant like hedges to make it like a tall labyrinth where you can't see where you're going? Like a yeah. ma hedge maze kind of thing? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how ambitious I want to be with it. Like the rock mazes are nice, but head planting a maze would be nice too. So, yeah, I mean, I've also seen, you know, those people who they'll grow trees and they, they bend the trees. So it makes like, like a building, but it's trees, hmm. you know, that's, that's one of those projects that you're, you're committing to like 25 years. It's right. Gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's big. I don't know, but. I'm just looking forward to having more open space again and which even makes, you know, where I plant my garden now will we'll get some more sun, I think, from the way, you know, I cut mm -hmm. other things back around it. So, yeah, so I will be out in nature, probably being a little more like a lumberjack than a gardener in the next few <laughs> weeks or whatever, but sort That's of anticipating part of gardening, gardening. though. Yeah, That's exactly. Part of gardening. Yeah. You know, and I love it. it. I really do. It's just it just it sucks when it gets 
beyond, you know, because I'm working so much and doing other things that I don't get the hours out there that I would love to have, you know, so mm. I want to try to reclaim some of that. Yeah. Well, up. it's also, it's good too, because was it my doctor when he was encouraging me to get more exercise, gardening was on the list of things that is considered exercise. So it's not, I don't know that it's like cardio Mm-hmm. Or it can be, but it's not like sustained cardio, like running or anything like that. But right. you're definitely you're, you're using definitely muscles, working. you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I and I and it's like I think I have to prune my grapes soon. And I know the trees don't get pruned until like January. Okay. So because they need to be asleep, they need to they need to have they need to be dormant. And that happens, you know, in January here in New Jersey. So when you're cutting into the, when you're pruning branches, that it's not going to leak sap or any of that stuff because it's all down in the ground. Right, right. Yeah, because my apple tree needs a major, major pruning. And so that's got to happen. And and I'm hoping to get apples next year instead of letting the squirrels eat all of them, damn it. Oh, (laughs) My brethren squirrels ruining yeah, your Yeah, well, they, stripped, they stripped all of my fruit trees. I didn't get any fruit this year. Uh, and I had so many nectarines on that tree, and none of them made it. It's like one day, I don't know, it's like the squirrels decided as a, as a team to say, let's pull all of the goddamn fruit off of this tree. And they, it wasn't even close to being ripe. Uh, so all gone. Wow. Seeing pomegranates growing around here has been amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I take I, a picture and send them to me because I have two pomegranate trees that probably won't be bearing fruit for another two years, but I want to see what the fruit looks like oh, on it because it's these little spindly branches. I'm trying to figure out how these giant fruit are on this thing. Yeah, I saw somewhere. I know I saw some. I don't know if I got a picture. I'll see if I see any around here, right, right okay. in Tucson proper. But yeah, it's cool. Look, I've just, I never saw them growing in real life. So it was kind of neat. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm impressed. And I, <laughs> and I'm, you know, these, the ones I have are supposed to be, co- you know, cold hardy up to zone six, which mm-hmm. is New England. I right, think right. is zone six. Maybe they're five. I don't know. It's north of us. So, so we'll see. Well, one of them is in the ground and one of them is in a, a, a planter. So I'm probably bringing that one at least into the greenhouse, if not inside. Cause I don't want to lose both of them. Cause I wasn't sure where I'm putting the second one yet. So it's in a, it's in a, it's in a planter. Uh-huh. And I have two lemons. One is probably two months away from ripening. And the other one is probably seven months away from ripening. Oh. On two different plants, I have. It takes nine months to grow a lemon. It's <laughs> <laughs> seems like it's a long time. Yeah, but that's how long it takes. Very cool. Well, I know who to ask if I have gardening questions about timing and uh, <laughs> all kinds of details that I know nothing about. So I'm I'm always impressed by your your knowledge and diligence with it all. Well, I know. thanks. <laughs> thanks. It's, you know, I, I like to think I know what the hell I'm doing and then I'm not so sure, you know, I, I haven't, I mean, I managed to not kill some orchids yet, which that's sort of like my, my bellwether. It's like, if you can keep orchids alive, then <laughs> it's the other thing about orchids is you basically you're, you're just have the leaves on them 
with like a with like a bare twig growing out of it for at least half the year and you kind of have to just that's how they are you know mm. they flower and then the flowers go away and there's a, apparently ways you could force more flowers but that's not good for the plant because what the plant does when it's not flowering is it makes more leaves so it's like it can either be putting out a leaf or putting out flowers and it needs its leaves to live because the flowers aren't producing the flowers don't do the chlorophyll stuff so mm. so a lot of the time i just have like these naked orchids but they seem to bloom at least in in my house they seem to bloom around january they start with the buds and then so they'll be bloom and they and once they flower the flowers are there for two three four months they're there for a long time wow nice so yeah and then you know and i like i like how you know it was because nature is, is is amusing and you know plant genitals especially orchid general genitals resemble human genitals do they i never noticed that well yeah i have to i have some close-ups of of one of my orchids and right inside of it there's there's a thing that looks like a penis and testicles it's really hilarious uh, <laughs> okay well this <laughs> fortnight i learned <laughs> Well, it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like there's a similarity of genitalia across all of the species of life in, yeah, yeah. on this planet, you know, and, and you see slow motion pictures of like lilies where, where the stamens will like shoot out pollen in like these spurts. Right. Yes, I have seen that. Look, look like spurts of other things coming out of something. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice well on that note <laughs> yeah oh you know i have to bring sex into it well it's you know plants are gender yeah, so yeah, you sure. know so there that's it is sexy. plant sex plant sex <laughs> that's gonna be one of our tags for the show <laughs> <laughs> okay oh well All well right. thank you wendy good to yeah. learn and if anybody has any gardening questions i can try to answer them <laughs> too so all right that's it for this edition of earthscape <laughs> the promise of america is freedom equality we must act now to restore and protect these freedoms for us and for the future we are the american civil liberties union for over 100 years the aclu has fought for everyone to have a voice and equal justice because we the people means all of us. To learn more, go to myaclu.org today. I am here with Missy Singer Dumars. I'm very excited to talk with her today. Missy has had careers in theatrical and entertainment lighting, therapeutic massage therapy, and business coaching. She is now a farmer and an owner of Crown Hill Farm in Eden, New York. She's also the hostess of the Women in Food podcast. So with this eclectic of life and experience, <laughs> I'm sure there will be lots to talk about. So Missy, welcome. 
And Thank you. If there's anything you'd like I think to it's add. worth saying we've known each other a hell of a lot of years. Yes, we have. Say that on <laughs> radio podcast. That, that is absolutely true. And is there anything you'd like to add to that intro? I feel like you actually encapsulated all of it really well. <laughs> right. You captured everything. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm really interested in your journey to farming. As you mentioned, we've known each other a long time, and this was a really cool and exciting move for me to watch you make. So I'm curious how how you got here. Yeah, that's a very long story. But the short of it, I mean, I, I always think grew up loving cooking and food. And really, when I lived in Hawaii, more off grid. When I was in massage school, I lived on Kauai with this amazing family and more off grid and that was like the first experience I had, like the 10 year old welcomed me the first day I arrived with like a machete in his hand and a fresh coconut in his other hand and like hacked it open and handed it to me. It was like, welcome, aloha. And we had gardens there. And that was kind of my first experience really of like pull a carrot out of the ground and rinse it off and bite into it. And I was like, wow. And then just, just to live somewhere where fresh food, you know, food was so fresh and, you know, direct from the garden or the farm to my plate and to my mouth really woke me up to what's possible. And then returning to the mainland, Las Vegas, and then eventually California, where there was so much fresh food and farmer's markets. And I'll never forget being so excited about farmer's markets in Santa Cruz, California, and telling my mom in New Jersey, and she's like, well, there's farmer's markets here. And I go to visit, and she takes me to what's called a farmer's market, and all the vegetables are and fruits are imported from Mexico. I'm like, this is not a farmer's market. <laughs> but that was really the beginning and just my own journey of health and wellness and and then learning to cook better. It all kind of mushed together. And I eventually landed myself living in Colorado and met my ex-husband and my ex-husband grew up growing food and more around farms and they had the dream of the farm and I was kind of like, sure, let's do it. And <laughs> we landed here and now here I am still on the farm and they're not here anymore. So that's kind of the story. Wow. Okay. I did miss That's a few fast version. There's I did a lot miss more a few chapters. I There's tell. a lot of chapters. Yeah. But it, it feels to me, it's the first thing in a long time that I see a long-term future for, for myself. You know, even when I was in massage school, I, I, I went with the desire to, for the learning more than, and the training more than the life of a massage therapist and i kind of realized that more recently that oh here i see a like a far future with myself in it and that's that's kind of a big difference that's really huge what is your typical day on the farm like these days oh goodness well first of all anyone who knows farm life would know there's no such thing as typical okay <laughs> but <laughs> good to know um there's no such thing as typical i think one of the biggest things is that my life has become more in sync with seasons and the cycles, daylight cycles, moonlight cycles, et cetera, than ever before. So all the years that I celebrated those things and celebrated seasons, it, 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 it's nothing like actually living deep within it. <laughs> so my days, depending on the season, can start anywhere from 5.30 a.m. to 7 a.m. And we usually feed animals first. 
and then feed ourselves. And my animals, I have chickens, ducks, geese, two working farm dogs, and a small flock of seven sheep. Um, so feed everybody, let them out for the morning, make sure everyone's got water and all that, and uh, feed the cats in the house as well. And then our breakfast, and then we go back out. And if it's in season, it's watering gardens. There's always, always, always weeding. If there's harvest that morning, we're harvesting. And then, you know, whatever whatever the day holds, it really depends. I mean, this morning we fed the animals. I was teaching some new interns about how to water the gardens. Uh, along the way, we did some weeding. We did some harvesting. I had an order for edible flowers I had to deliver before nine o'clock. So I picked those, ran those out, delivered them, came back. And my typical day includes things like recording a podcast episode <laughs> or <laughs> being in business meetings. Because really, I would say, uh, and there's ways I'm an entrepreneur before a farmer in a lot of ways. So I, you know, I have my business coaching practice, I, it, things like that. So there's often meetings and emails, um, but I'll get the crew set up for the day. And then they're waiting for me. So when we're done with this conversation, I'm going to show them how to prep the beds for our fall plantings. We've been working on that to get everything out of the greenhouse in the ground. And then evening, we eat dinner as a group, a community of friends, and then feed animals, clean up, and rest. <laughs> That's a typical day on the farm. Rest sounds like much, much earned <laughs> at the end of yeah, that. I, yeah, it's really important to me to that sustainability applies to us as well as the, the land. So, you know, having a sustainable lifestyle and way that we work. Within reason. I mean, there's times we just have to huff it and get something done, but we'll balance that. Sure, sure. So what are some of the issues that you think are most important currently in regards to food? Sustainability is one you just mentioned, but um, there's so much, but I don't know. What well, sort of I on. feel like climate change is the most important issue across the board, because I yeah. feel like if we don't freaking have a planet anymore, then nothing else really matters. I mean, like if we don't have a place to live, then, you know healthcare, internet access, whatever it is, doesn't matter because we won't be able to exist. So to me, there's a way that's the most important thing. However, it's a pretty massive problem that's going to take a lot of a lot of change to remedy. In terms of sustainability, it it's an interesting question. I mean, I I, I think what's happened over multiple generations is that systems have been created for, at least in the United States, which is where I can speak to the most, systems have been created for mass food accessibility, but lack of quality or nutritional value or mindfulness to land or any of those things. Like, And now we have a culture that ex has an expectation of that, of basically convenience. Alice Louise Waters talks about fast food versus slow food. And who know, is that? I'm sorry. I just want to. Alice Waters. Oh, right. Okay. Very famous, probably one of the women responsible for bringing farm to table to the United States right. and owner and creator of Chez Panisse in Berkeley oh. and the edible schoolyard programs all over and all kinds of things. But she talks about slow food and fast food and what really strikes me importantly is fast food is about convenience and I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people that 
they're like, well, I know I should get food from a farm or I know I should eat seasonally, but it's just so easy to go to the grocery store. Like it's very hard to overcome convenience. I mean, I find it with myself. There's times where it's just, we were just having a conversation last night about mayonnaise and like, I can't bring myself to spend like nine or $10 on one jar of mayonnaise of the ingredient quality that I would desire when I have eggs and oil at home and I can just, and lemon juice and I can just or white vinegar, and I can just make mayonnaise. But then I never make mayonnaise because I got to plan time to do that and then clean the blender and everything else, right? So there is this like, you know, sometimes I want to just buy the jar of mayo because it's convenient, right? So it's a really hard habit to break free from. And I think our food systems have created an expectation of convenience and a mindset of convenience in addition to a mindset. And this I see like when I talk more to home cooks or chefs, for that matter, the the process these days is you pick a recipe out of a book or a magazine or the internet, and then you go hunt down the ingredients for it. And really, th- the mindset needs to be the other way around. What ingredients are in season or available now? And then what can I make with it? But that's also not as convenient of a way to think. And it's a mindset change. It's subtle, but it's a real mindset change. So I feel like those that that kind of perspective and mindset that our systems have created make it hard to foster larger change in our food systems. But it's fascinating to me that the more affordable food is not even really food. It's, it's food like substances and that like a cucumber or a fresh bunch of grapes or whatever is considered the expensive food. Like that feels so backwards to me. And so wrong (laughs) you know same with eggs you know just everything that that real real food whole ingredient food i should say is you know the expensive inaccessible stuff like that feels just really i don't know my whole body sees that as really not not right yeah yeah i know that there have been some efforts to get fresh foods into places where there are you know so-called food deserts and things like that do you see those efforts as helping do people get get to those things so how does that how is that working yeah i mean in some ways it does help you know also at least here in new york state the snap ebt you know food what used to be called food stamp benefits you can use at farmers markets and things like that like i as a farmer can get set up to accept those for certain products but this is why i say it's deeper it's the mindset there's such a so even if someone has access to that are they going to make that choice Right. Or are they going to choose the McDonald's they can just drive through, not even get out of the car and pick up, and now everybody's fed for like 20 bucks. And you don't have to cook something, and you don't have to go to the store and then bring it home. You don't need to have a pot and a pan and a knife. And, you know, it's just – that's why I say I think it's it's more than the food system. It's, it's a cultural mindset that also has to change. Right. I notice it in myself, it's just sort of patterns. You know, there's like a mm-hmm. typical – when I leave my house, there's a typical direction I tend to drive. And it goes closer to Philadelphia than Atlantic City, generally, you know. And then I tell myself, wait, if I go the other direction, there are all kinds of things that I never normally think of. And there are great farmer's markets and there's, you know, just a lot of different things. You're in the garden state. It's (laughs) called the garden state for a reason. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I do try to consciously break patterns and just go to a, a new place and check out what's available mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things. But it does, yeah. it takes a sort of a, it takes a mind shift. I really. Well, 
I think there's like a good first step and a lot of teachers of food and nutrition and health and wellness will start with this step, which is if you're going to go to a regular grocery store, shop what they say, shop the perimeter. Yes. Right. So the perimeter of any grocery store is usually your whole ingredient, fresh foods, salad, fruits, veggies, meats, dairy, eggs, and challenge yourself. See if you can just eat from what's on the perimeter and not go down up and down the aisles in the middle. And that's that's often a, a good first step. And then when you start doing that, you start seeking different quality of those foods and those products. And then you start trying other places. Yeah, very good. That, absolutely. So <laughs> there's kind of a joke out there that everybody has a podcast now. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, you know, the good thing about podcasting, though, is that you have the opportunity to really hone in on specific interests and intersections of ideas. So I'm really curious about what drew you to talking about women in food. Mm. <laughs> That's a great story. And and I will say, like, everybody has a podcast. However, the number of podcasts that actually succeed and keep going, and you all have kept the Lescape going for quite a long time with different iterations, which is quite very impressive. And, and you're definitely in the successful podcast realm for sure. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> I would say I, I keep track of a lot of podcast trends, podcaster trends. One, one of my mentors has got a very top social impact entrepreneurship podcast and coaches a lot of podcasters. So I, I'm on top of those trends a little bit. But anyway, Women in Food started... Basically, 2019, I started doing farm-to-table dinners on the farm. That was really one of my dreams on the farm was to have farm-to-table dinners and events. And I had the first dinner, and one of my kind of business collaborators brought a whole bunch of people. And one of the people they brought was a woman chef, Jessica, who is now a dear friend. And we hit it off. And I'm a business person before a farmer, like I said before. So... In thinking about doing more farm-to-table dinners in 2020, I was thinking about how do I package them? How do I sell a package one time instead of having to sell every dinner over and over and over again? And so she and I were talking, and I said, wouldn't it be cool to like pair a woman chef with a woman farmer and do a series? And so someone could buy the whole series for a discounted rate and get like a dinner once a month that's like women chefs, women farmers. So that was the initial idea. And we started planning that. And uh, of course, we all now know what happened in 2020. Yeah. And <laughs> everybody's plans changed a little bit. <laughs> everybody's plans changed a little bit. And so I threw everything onto Zoom, like everybody did. And it's funny, too, because I've had already been using Zoom for years before the pandemic, but threw everything onto Zoom. So I had all the chefs in their kitchens teaching cooking class cooking a menu. And then I had all the farmers teaching like gardening classes or farming classes of various kinds. And it was super fun. And then, and then I added more women than I had originally lined up to it. So I ended up doing, I think, 15 or 16 episodes of that throughout that summer in 2020. People loved it. And what happened, I had a connection to the Yelp Buffalo community manager. And so he said, let's partner because that year was the, I think the hundredth anniversary of the ratification of women's right to vote in August. And so Yelp was looking to do a lot of programming, supporting women, women businesses. So they co-hosted 
August and then they loved it so much. They're like, can we co-host September? And they were then promoting it to what they call the elite squad. And so we had 30 or 40 people on most of the calls, which was super great, but it was burning me out. And so by the end of that summer, because they were all live and I had to promote them all and, you know, clear out the kitchen. So I had a nice background and, you know, make everyone leave the room each time and, you know, stop everything I was doing to record another Zoom. And I, I was just like, oh my God, this is a lot, but people love it. And so my, actually my therapist was like, why don't you make it a podcast? And I'm like, that's brilliant. And I happen to know a person who teach, teaches people how to launch a podcast. So I uh, worked with Paul and turned it into a podcast, which has been great because I really have connections with women all over the country and world. And the original series was of Western New York. And so the podcast gave me the opportunity to expand it because I feel like, you know, I talk about this with my coaching clients a lot. It's like the podcast has worldwide reach. And so it's a worldwide audience. And so I can bring in worldwide guests where things I do locally here are going to be more featuring local, regional chefs and people. And we're actually doing the first Women in Food Festival in October this month here on the farm, which will be Women in Food of West New York Festival with like demos and vendors and things like that. So super exciting with Yelp. So we're doing it together. That sounds amazing. And please send us the info and we'll get it to our listeners. I will. Absolutely. I will. I will. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, what kind of happened that first year talking to all these women farmers and chefs was finding out that they didn't all know each other or of each other. And so at first it was this thought of like, how do we create a networking event to bring all these amazing women together? Cause like the chefs could be ordering meats from the rancher or the farm vegetables from the farmer. Like how do we foster this? And everyone kind of knows each other exists, but we're all kind of stuck in our farm or kitchen world and don't get out much. And so that was my original idea of like, oh, let's do a festival where maybe one day is open to the public and then another day is just for us to hang out and get to know each other. So this is a step. This event is a step towards that. We won't necessarily have the private event, but just the fact that of everyone being there will start to get to know each other more. And the connections that were made from that first year of Zoom classes are amazing. And some of those women still work together today and, and um, have business partnerships and things like that. So that's really cool. And part uh, so part of the focus of women too was that when I moved here, I felt like all that I saw in the media around farm to table food were the same few like leading white men mm. and no offense to them. They're all amazing. And yet I felt like there's so many other voices in this region and in the world, honestly. And, you know, my question was like, how can I feature other people and elevate other voices? I mean, and part of it selfishly was like, how do I get seen? Right? Like I'm like the newcomer kid. How do I get seen when I'm not the, you know, fifth, sixth generation farmer that's been around forever and everybody knows them. But then it made me realize like, oh, there's a whole lot of people that aren't being seen or heard. And how can I, how can I use what relationships I've built to help that? That sounds awesome. Wonderful. So <laughs> I guess, you know, and, and I, we will be listening. We'll definitely, you know, post your podcast for other people to uh, check Thank out you. as well. I'll just forewarn, episodes are very scant these days. It kind of happens and episode really s drops off in the summer a little bit, but I... Sure never stop and do like, oh, new season. I just like, hopefully try to push a uh, episode out now and again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the great thing about podcasting also is that you can create it as you as you do. And yeah. when you're ready to put something out, that's that's great. You know, we, we've yeah. been keeping to seasons, but they vary a little bit. And 
we, we we're making it up as we go along too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So. so, any sort of parting thoughts or lessons that you think you would most like people to know? I know you were talking about, you know, just sort of changing mindset around foods and things like that. But any other words of advice? Well, I would say that my one of my my two top values really are nourishment and even higher is curiosity. And that's always my invitation to anyone is to observe and get curious, wonder about things, whether it's wonderment at how a flower opens from a tiny seed into this stunningly beautiful thing or wonder where does my chicken come from and do I want a different choice or how are these vegetables grown and do I want a different choice? Like get curious. And I love the saying, know your farmer, know your food, because it's really true. And whether it's a farmer or a store, just, you know, get curious, get curious about yourself, get curious about life, get curious about what you eat. You know, and I think that's the, if there's, if there's, if I feel like I leave one imprint on the world ever, it's an invitation to stay open and, and be a curious human and, and wonder about things. That is a beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much, Missy. Thank you. Great to talk with you. So good to talk to you. In our next show, I talk with lawyer and author Michael Ventrella about his book, How to Argue the Constitution with a Conservative. And we also talk a little bit about science fiction and science fiction conventions and some other things. And we will also be talking about what we planned for Samhain because Samhain is coming up. Yes, it is coming quickly. This has been great talking with you, Wendy, and talking to our listeners. And I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on X Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. On Discord, you can find me there as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Blue Sky at Fox Woman, and on Etsy with Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So until next time, be safe, get curious, and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.